always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Search Sky Broadband to get started. If you're fond of sand dunes and salty After everything that's happened over the past couple of years, many of us are dying for a nice holiday. And we're willing to pay for it. Many people are prioritising holiday spending this year in spite of pressure on household budgets. But it's not cheap. Hotels, Airbnb and car hire prices are all going through the roof. An increasing number cannot afford a holiday at all. On top of that, if you're unlucky enough to need a new passport, you can expect to face major delays. It's it's really outrageous. The passport office is not fit for purpose any longer. Today in the news, your guide to the chaotic and costly world of travel in 2022. But before all that, more chaos at Dublin Airport. This weekend just passed, people endured hours in queues at the airport, with many missing flights as a result. The delays came despite recent assurances from the DAA, the authority that runs the airport, that things were getting better. Olivia Kelly was out at the airport for the Irish Times. Olivia, what was happening there and what did you learn about the chaos and the delays over the weekend? Well, Connor, very large queues to even get into the airport and that that goes for both Terminal 1 and Terminal 2, which previously hadn't been so bad. There were points where the queue to get into Terminal 1 was down at the archway, if I might call it that, uh, at the new terminal, at Terminal 2. So people were queuing all the way up the ramp just to get to the front door of Terminal 1. Did you speak to any passengers and and what did they have to tell you about the delays that they experienced? Yes, yeah, I spoke to people and a lot of people, I have to say, were just, they were bewildered because they were still going by the uh, Dublin airport advice that's, you know, on the radio as well as online saying, you know, two and a half hours for a short haul flight and, and an extra hour onto that for long haul. Now, I spoke to some people who were more than two and a half hours for their short haul flight, just getting to the door of the airport. So essentially, they'd already lost by the time they got to to the front door of the airport and there was no point in going in. Most of them did, but then often found their check-in desks were already closed and and they just had to turn around and and go away. Um, Now, people also told me that their airlines were being accommodating and were booking them onto the, the next available flight. But in many cases, that wasn't today. You know, there might just be one flight out and there mightn't even be daily flights to their destinations and they might have to wait a couple of days before they could get to where they'd planned to go. And if you're just going for a short trip, for, for many people, it wasn't going to be worth it. The DAA has said in recent days that it was on top of the problem, but that really doesn't seem to be the case. What do they have to say to you about the delays and the cause of them last weekend? Yeah, I'd, it's debatable whether or not the the airport authority has a handle on this. What they're saying is that it's a a staffing issue that they really have to get the new staff in place. Now, they're saying they they do have a couple of hundred people of the first 300 new recruits that they were looking for, that they have those people in place. Now, that in some cases means that they're there and they're ready to go. And in other cases means they're still in training, but they're in the system and they're hoping that that will, will ease delays. Did they give you any sense as to when these problems might be resolved? Are they with us for the long term? 
Well, we're heading into the busy season now and they seem to be just hoping that their their recruitment policy, they say for those 300 jobs and they say as well they're extending that up to 370. They say that they have had um, more than 5,000 applicants for those jobs. So they're hopeful of getting those those positions in place. But as I say, coming into the busy season and, and who knows if they're if they're going to be up and running um, by the time they need to. Away from Dublin Airport, travel for the rest of 2022 is not likely to be the same as it was in pre-pandemic times, at home or abroad. Fionn Davenport is a travel writer and author of multiple editions of the Lonely Planet Guide to Ireland. Fionn, we all know how badly hit the tourism sector all over the world was by COVID. Effectively, international travel ground to a halt and stayed grounded for the guts of two years. But I wonder, have things started to recover? And particularly if we could look at Europe, has the European tourism market recovered from the COVID nightmare? And are people travelling again now? Uh, To a large extent, it has, thank God. So uh, even anecdotally, as you'll hear of the popular tourism destinations that are that have filled up since roughly the, the beginning of spring. So the big cities of Italy, your Venices, your Florences, Barcelona, etc., are seeing tourism numbers, the likes of which they haven't seen since 2019. Generally speaking, so you could say between 80 and 90 percent of recovery from pre-pandemic times. And what are the popular destinations? I know you mentioned cities like Venice and Barcelona, Florence, but in terms of the the, the two-week holiday that people might be looking forward to in June, July and August, where will they be going? So interestingly, one of the patterns uh, that has emerged in post-pandemic travel is that familiarity is the key word. So people want to return to those places that they are most familiar with. So the traditional hotspots of Spain, the Costa del Sol, the Costa Brava, the Costa Blanca, the Canary Islands, and the likes of Mallorca, Menorca. These are the destinations that are drawing the biggest number of Irish visitors. You can add to that uh, parts of France, you can add to that the Algarve, and then further afield, the likes of Italy, Greece, and to a slightly lesser extent, Turkey. But Turkey is also uh, incredibly popular with Irish visitors. Now, I think one of the things that people were obsessed by when it came to international travel in 2021 were the level of restrictions, COVID-related restrictions that were in place in the countries they were going to, or indeed the, the requirements that they would have had when boarding a plane or when going through an airport What kind of restrictions can people expect when they travel now? Or have all the restrictions been lifted in the popular destinations and indeed on airlines and across airports? For the most part, the restrictions that became all too familiar over the last two years have been lifted with the sole exception of you will still need your COVID pass to prove that you've been vaccinated, but not just vaccinated, boosted. Uh, Mask requirements are gone pretty much everywhere, except for in certain pockets where you still might have to wear a mask indoors, but they're few and far between. Only a couple of weeks ago, European regulations advised that airlines can now lift the restriction on masks or make them or remove the mandatory element of them and make them voluntary. So so what they've done is, is that airlines now say to you, is like, look, if you want to wear a mask, absolutely, but you don't have to. 
And what's the availability like? Because I'd imagine that there'd be a lot of people who are on rolling bookings. They might have made a booking for 2020 that was cancelled and then they might have pushed it into 2021 and then that was cancelled. So now they have a booking for 2022. Has that had an impact on availability? And what is the availability like when it comes to hotels, resorts, package holidays? This is a, it's a slightly complicated answer. The easy answer is availability is slim, particularly for the peak periods, particularly those holiday periods when the kids are off school. So there are multiple reasons why the availability might be thinner on the ground than it was in previous years. One of them is staffing. So as the tourism industry looks to ramp up staffing to pre-pandemic levels, it just takes time. Most of them obviously haven't been caught unawares by the arrival of summer. So they're, they're preparing for the summer rush, but staffing has been an issue throughout Europe and not just here in Ireland. Then there's the issue of airlines. So is that airlines have resumed roughly between 75 and 80% of their pre-pandemic flight schedules. And they are in the process of ramping up again to 100% of pre-pandemic schedules, but that takes a little bit of time. So you have slightly fewer airlines or slightly fewer services servicing these destinations than you did, say, in 2019. And so really, summer 2022, which is the key period that we're talking about, is going to be not so much a trial and error, but a kind of cleaning the rust off the tourism industry as we get back to pre-pandemic tourism. I think in Ireland, there's been a huge focus on prices and we we might come to the the pricing in Ireland in a moment. But what's happening in other tourist destinations? Are prices rising at the same places in places like Italy, France, Spain and Portugal when it comes to eating out, when it comes to self-catering, when it comes to buying your groceries in a local supermarket? On average, prices for a typical holiday to those favoured sun destinations has gone up by between 16 and 20% on 2019. So for instance, the average price of a holiday to Lanzarote in 2019 was 750, 800 euro. That same holiday is gone up by 11%. Mm. If you're going to Gran Canaria, again, an increase by 9, 10%. It's even more pronounced in the Algarve, where you're seeing price of the holiday itself gone up by over 16%. So to answer your question is, yes, you're going to see price increases all over. We are hearing stories of some people cancelling their holidays. We've had feedback from places like the bed and breakfast sector and others where they've had cancellations because the people that were coming to visit them weren't able to get cars. Another area where we've seen a phenomenal spike in prices when it comes to holidays is car hire. They've gone through the absolute roof. Why is that? This is this is kind of more of a pre-pandemic issue um, is is that there was a shortage of microchips that are used in the in the manufacture of new cars and something to do with the distribution line. And but that's been ongoing for at least two years and it was accentuated by the pandemic. And what happens is, is with car hire companies is that they generally will turn their fleets over every two, three years. So, you know, when you go rent a car, you're always renting a car that's either this year or last year and never older than that. So what happens is during the pandemic, when there was very little car hire, the big car hire companies or most of the car hire companies, they got rid of their fleets. But in order to replace them, 
because of this chip shortage, it's been almost next to impossible to increase their fleets to the levels required. And so as a result, fewer cars with a spike in demand for car hire has meant a absolute jackknifing of prices. And so, and I know that on radio over the last few weeks, it's been like a favourite topic of conversation because you get the anecdotal evidence about someone who, you know, was coming to Ireland for a week and they were quoted 5,000 quid for the cost of a car. And this isn't just an Irish problem alone. Florida, which is traditionally one of the cheapest places in the world to rent a car, has seen a, a triple increase in the cost of just an ordinary car hire. That really take, makes a dent in the holidaymaker's pocket because, you know, you take it for granted that if you're going away for a week, depending on the size of a car, whether you want to put the kids into it, you're factoring in, say, 300 to maybe five, 600 quid for the cost of a car hire. You're seeing that in the multiples of thousands now. And for many people, that just becomes prohibitively expensive. Coming up, just why is staycationing in Ireland so expensive? And is a holiday in Ireland ever good value for money? Never suffer the buffer again. Always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Whether you're streaming on the sofa, gaming in the bedroom, or swiping in the bathroom. I said swiping. You'll never be without it. Switch your home to 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Availability subject to location requires Sky Broadband Ultrafast. For more info, see sky.ie forward slash speeds. 99.9% reliability based on time our broadband network works across our base. While at level 5 restrictions continue, there are indications that staycation holidays could be a big feature of the summer once again. In 2020 and in 2021, everyone had to staycation because we weren't allowed to go anywhere else. You've written multiple editions of The Lonely Planet covering Ireland and you're Irish, but you have to write that book with an overseas tourist in mind. When it comes to Ireland as a value for money destination, what do you tell them? Generally with Lonely Planet, we don't use the words expensive or cheap because what's expensive to you and I mightn't be expensive to someone else. So we talk about value for money and that's the key is are you getting value for money? We define that by the cost of an average meal, the cost of an average hotel room, the cost of an experience compared to other locations, similar locations in Europe. What is absolutely true is that Ireland ranks as one of the more expensive European destinations on a par with other Northern European countries. But the biggest fall down for me is is that in the cost of food even though we've had a food revolution in Ireland that we're very very proud of over the last two two decades or more the average cost of a main course here is still exorbitantly higher than it is in France or Italy or Spain having said that average wages in France and Spain and Italy are far lower than they are here in terms of accommodation now like obviously dynamic pricing is is the way accommodation is priced so the higher the demand the higher the price but even allowing for a spike in prices for summer in ireland value for money is still very good when it comes to accommodation for two reasons one often you see it compared like with unlike so for instance you'll say well i want to rent a holiday cottage say in dingle in july But you know what? I saw this place in Granada in October and it was a fifth. It's like, but you're not comparing like with like. 
Dingle is one of the most sought-after destinations in the country. Granada in October isn't. So if you were to find the equivalent to Dingle in Spain or Italy or France, you will see comparable prices for the cost of accommodation. There's been a rise in the standard of accommodation to meet European needs. Yes, it's reflected in pricing, but it's also reflected in the kind of quality that you are met with when you check in. I mean, Dublin now being a weird exception where the cost of a hotel in Dublin is just outlandish at the moment. Mm. Yeah, I want to talk to you about that because you're talking about prices and it's an area where I have a degree of interest. And for instance, if I want to stay in a hotel in Dublin over the June bank holiday weekend, it's going to cost me 300, 350 euros a night for one room. And these are not five star hotels. We're not talking about the Marion or the Shelburne or wherever it might be. Compare that to the prices in Berlin or Lisbon or even Paris. You're paying a lot more in Dublin. And I'm, I'm wondering what's driving up the prices? I mean, there's lots of issues, I guess. The knee jerk thing is to say it's price gouging. We don't need the experience of post-pandemic Dublin to know that price gouging exists. It does happen. Absolutely. The other issue is, is that as we welcome an increased number of Ukrainian refugees, that there is X number of beds taken out of the accommodation market for the summer to make room for to accommodate refugees coming in from from Ukraine. I hear numbers like upwards of 8000 beds, which in in Irish terms is quite a considerable number. I would imagine that that's having a kind of an impact. The other factor to bear in mind is the kind of disjointed way that the Irish visitor or visitors to Ireland experience Ireland. So it's it's one of the great challenges that tourism authorities have in this country is to distribute tourism more evenly, both in terms of regions and in terms of time. People come to Ireland in very set times and they come to very set places. So because Dublin is the primary and main arrival port uh, for 90 odd percent of all visitors to this country. So people will do three days in Dublin and then move on and they'll move on in that kind of standard tourism itinerary, which is Dublin out to the west to Galway, down Cliffs of Mower, Kerry, kind of squeeze up through Cork, back to Dublin and then away home. And that's the way tourism is. And that's, and the biggest challenge for years and years and years is to try and get people to move beyond that very narrow itinerary. So I wonder if that is not a contributing factor to the price spikes that we're seeing at the moment. But isn't that one of the things that, that we're often told? It's like, oh yeah, you'll still find great value for money if you look outside the tourist hotspots. But one of the reasons why the tourist hotspots are so hot is because they're attractive. Like, you can't really compare Dingle to Port Arlington. And I mean no disrespect to Port Arlington, but they're not really... That's a little really... bit of disrespect to Port Arlington. <laughs> they're not really the same place. No, they're not. Uh, look, I, 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 I remember years ago when we used to publish a Lonely Planet guide. You know, the, the PR folks at Lonely Planet weren't fools, so they knew they would take the, the most kind of controversial comments written inside the book and put that out as a press release. So invariably you would have local radio who would get me on and scream at me because why was I giving out about Bundoran? And I said years ago that Larne was not a place that you really want to spend a huge amount of time in. And Sammy Wilson got on BBC Radio (laughs) Ulster and screamed at me for about 15 minutes. My argument was, look, I'm, I'm born and raised in Blanchardstown. And as much as it's a perfectly fine place to live and grow up, it's not really a place I'd recommend as if you've got five days in Ireland, I'm, you know, I don't really see that there's much to do there. And one of the things that the tourism authorities often boast about, 
if that's not too strong a word, is the fact that Ireland is a premium destination. And so Ireland charges premium prices when compared to Spain, Greece, Portugal, Turkey, wherever you might want to go. What do you think that actually means? What makes Ireland a premium destination? Or is that just a narrative sold to us to justify ridiculous pricing? I I think it's a narrative sold to justify ridiculous pricing. Now, I'll defend restaurateurs and hoteliers and people involved in the tourism industry by saying is that the underlying cost of things, which is irrelevant, I mean, in terms of to the visitor, the visitor is unaware of it, but rates, VAT, rental costs are exorbitant in this country. That's the premium that the visitor ends up paying without realising. The cost of running these things is so high. Now, short of reforming the economy, such to make tourism far more competitive with the likes of Spain or France or Italy, we call Ireland a premium destination. And so it goes back to that first point that I was making. Ultimately, it's about value for money. So you have to say, look, this is how much a holiday in this country costs. Now, do you feel you're getting a return for your investment? So if you're paying 400 quid a night for a five-star hotel, you better be damn sure you're getting a five-star experience. There's a couple of other things I just want to address and they're kind of outside of the pricing system. The first one is uh, passports. We've heard heard a lot of stories about passport delays in this country. 200,000 people waiting for a passport, people missing holidays because the passports didn't arrive in time. The Passport Express Service changing its name to Post Passport. What do you make of the passport crisis and the delays in the passport office? Is that a big problem, do you think? Well, it is, particularly if you're looking for a new passport, because anecdotally is uh, renewals aren't affected nearly as much by the delays because renewals can be done online, whereas new passports, say for a newborn or for a young infant, they need to be vetted by a Garda, etc., etc. And so, again, because of staffing issues, and it is worth, you know, that the Department of Foreign Affairs and the Passport Office have ramped up their staffing uh, of late. It's just there's a massive backlog that's prompting these heartbreaking stories. I mean, really heartbreaking. If you are renewing a passport, I don't think the problems are nearly as serious. But, Connor, it's not dissimilar to the kind of issues we've seen lately in airports. And there was much play made about delays in airports. We focus on our own. We go, geez, Dublin Airport is a disaster. And it it has been. Absolutely. There's no denying it. But so have other airports in Germany. I've travelled in and out of Manchester Airport quite a lot lately. And there is an issue is that a European directive, which the Brits for some reason are still part of, is is that they have enhanced security checks for for security personnel. And because most airports either furloughed or made redundant a lot of the personnel at the beginning of the pandemic, to ramp up, again, the staffing, has been much, much slower than anticipated. And it is worth saying, as people go, well, they should have known. Most airports started uh, recruiting staff in December. But, and and I'll give you the why, is that, so whereas before a a strict background check, guard vetting was enough, now, if you have spent any time or worked in any other European country, you need a vet from the police force of that country. And that can take a lot of time to bring in. So this is the problem that airports have been facing, which is why we've seen such big queues at airports lately. And I imagine that the passport office has had a version of that, particularly when it comes to new passports. Fionn Davenport, thank you very much for talking to us. Thanks, Connor. 
That's it for today. This episode of In the News was produced by Declan Conlon and Jennifer Ryan. We'll be back on Wednesday.